Welcome. You are listening to Conversations from Christchurch Cranbrook. We are a faith community located in Metro Detroit who have been transformed by God's acceptance, love, and grace. Whoever you are, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith today, we pray this podcast will feed your soul and inspire your spirit. Okay, so I'm told we're rolling, so welcome everybody, welcome everybody at home, great to have you. Uh, We, um, contrary to popular recent announcement, this isn't about generosity per se, it's actually about gratitude. But uh, if, so if you came expecting, you know, looking for an hour-long forum on the joys of making your pledge, uh, (laughs) you're going to be a little disappointed. However, I would be happy to do that next week, Just, just let me know. All right, so here we go. Uh, This is part six of a series, the last edition, really, of a series we've been doing uh, based on this book, Post-Traumatic Thriving, by Dr. Randall Bell. Pastor Manisha mentioned it in her uh, amazing sermon today. And I'll actually mention a few things in her sermon because they were rather aligned in some regards. Uh, So for those of you who have been in, in parts of this but not all the parts, I'll just quickly catch you up. Uh, Dr. Bell offers us a kind of three-stage uh, way of um, uh, responding to trauma in our life. Uh, dive, which is trauma hits us, uh, our, our lives are upended, uh, we are disoriented, all of our normal routines are thrown up in the air, we're in a state of shock, how is this happening to me, that kind of thing. Uh, hopefully we move to the next stage, which is survive where we start to make adaptations, we start to accept, okay, this is really real, this is happening, I'm gonna need to experiment on how to modify my life uh, to accommodate these, this, this, this shock to the system. You know, and of course, we can all relate to these, you can certainly use the pandemic as a, as a kind of a template for this process. And this series has been on this last stage, uh, Thrive. So after we've learned to survive our trauma, how can we incorporate it and integrate it into our life in a way that um, actually makes us uh, more at peace, more compassionate, more loving, more joyful? Um, so that uh, those, he offers a kind of uh, five practices, uh, faith, uh, connection, community, forgiveness. Last week we talked about resilience, and then this week is our final piece uh, on gratitude, okay? So he begins with uh, some comments about the overwhelming amount of of literature and studies and research on the benefits of gratitude. Uh, So it makes us uh, happier. Uh, Being grateful uh, helps us become healthier and stay healthier. It overwhelmingly shows that we live longer when we're uh, grateful. Uh, people like us more. That's, there's, there's research on the fact that we are, we are friendlier people when we're grateful people. That kind of stands to reason, doesn't it? Uh, and it reduces materialism in our life. Gets us off the treadmill uh, of keeping up with the Joneses. And so I just want to illustrate that because it's a good piece. It's a good um, reminder. A uh, little bit of delay there. That went way off. How did that happen? 
Hold on. Try that again. Okay. So I used to do a class called Living Wisely, which I used to teach this around the country. Um, it's basically a class on how to integrate your values, your faith, with your money life. <laughs> kind of the third rail of right, our conversion. Uh, so this was something I always used to kick off the class with. And it's what they call the fulfillment curve. And it comes from a wonderful little book called Your Money or Your Life. And what it does is it tries to graphically tackle this idea of whether or not money buys happiness. And of course, if you were to be asked, does money buy happiness, we would all respond, no. Ah, but it's not that simple, is it? So that's a, this is a really wonderful little way of des describing the fact that this, this paradox of whether or not money buys happiness is actually, um, it's, it depends. And so this demonstrates as you spend money, okay, going out on this axis, your amount of fulfillment going up on this axis, happiness, fulfillment, whatever you want to call it. Uh, anyway, at first, in, in, the, in the very initial stages, you actually do receive a lot of fulfillment from money, right? Because it's getting you the basics. It's helping you survive. Roof over your head, food on the table, clothing in your closet, okay? And as you continue to spend, and our culture is very good at encouraging us to continue to spend, we go beyond survival, don't we? And we move into th kinds of comforts, okay? Maybe that first pair of shoes is, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I have a pair of shoes. Now we've got a pair of shoes for going out, we have a pair of shoes for running, we've got a pair of shoes. If you've seen my closet at home, we have a lot of pairs of shoes for a lot of things. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, we'll talk about clutter in just a moment. But uh, so, so the idea is, uh, you know, in, in, even include some luxuries, right? But it comes a point, there comes a point where the curve starts to flatten out, where our fulfillment and happiness is really not advanced by more stuff. And you can imagine that just empirically, right? And, and in fact, these guys actually argue, and I think they're accurate about this, uh, it can lead to less happiness, less fulfillment, because now we're having to work longer to keep up, to buy it all. We're having to store it somewhere, right? During the last recession, uh, a growth industry was storage units because we still need to store our stuff. I used to represent clients who owed back taxes to the IRS in unbelievable amounts of money, yet they often were still spending rental fees on storing stuff they weren't using. Uh, it starts to get complex. We start to have to, have to hire lawyers and accountants right, to manage our depreciation on our stuff. We have to buy um, uh, uh, security, uh, you know, alarm systems to protect it, right, all that kind of thing. Anyway, um, their point and my point, and I think Jesus's point is at some point, we have to say enough is enough. The, the goal here is to start to draw, to stop somewhere. Now that place may be different for all of us, it really doesn't make any difference, the real point is to get to that point in your life where you know you say, you know what, I have, enough is enough. I've got what I need. I am now going to turn my attention elsewhere. And I think this is, the, uh, this is where gratitude, you know, helps us to, I think gratitude helps us to stop, helps us say, you know what, I'm really thankful for the things I have. I don't know if I need more. I am actually going to start thinking about how I can attain new levels of happiness and fulfillment not by more stuff, but by going elsewhere. And that's what we'll, we'll be hitting on today. 
serving others, for example. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so other benefits of gratitude he gives us, uh, it makes us more optimistic, it makes us less self-centered, and he makes an interesting point, it makes us less fearful. Practicing an attitude of gratitude, you know, uh, squeezes out fear in our life. It's hard to be both fearful and thankful. He makes that point. I thought that was an interesting idea. Um, and you can probably uh, imagine others. Uh, you can Google research on the power of, hap of gratitude, uh, and it is amazing, um, the benefits of being gracious. And one of the great uh, um, ironies of it is that being grateful is actually really easy. It's really cheap. It doesn't cost you much to be thankful. We spend so much time making money and buying new things and you know, working hard and trying to win the approval of others. Meanwhile, if we could just be gracious, uh, research shows we actually can get, we get just as much happiness. In fact, one of the, I'll, I'll share one with you in a minute when we get to it. Um, so gratitude and thriving, those, uh, this is what Randall Bell sort of summarizes. When it relates to thriving, those who reach the pinnacle of healing, which I think is basically his, you know, talking about thriving. Those who reach the pinnacle of healing always have a sense of gratitude. They did not appreciate the trauma, okay? but are forever grateful for the lesson. They have an appreciation for life and look for opportunities to contribute and to be of service of others. I think that's his thesis of how uh, gratitude relates to thriving. And so he points out, you know, that's easier said than done. Uh, and, but, but thrivers, as he calls them, um, look at these kinds of statistics and they uh, are aware of them, or at least they're mindful of them. Uh, for example, he points out these you know, well-known studies, maybe you've heard these. If you have a cell phone, food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, roof over your head, and a place to sleep at night, if you've got those five things, and I love that cell phone is one of them, uh, you're doing better than 80% of the rest of the world. <laughs> I wonder if you took away the cell phone, you might, maybe it's better than 90% of the world. Uh, here's another one. If you have a steady job, if you add to that list a steady job, some money in the bank, and some spare cash in your wallet when you need it, you're suddenly in the top 92% of the world in terms of affluence and, and wealth. Have you heard those before? So, so Randall Bell's point is being aware of that is part of the, the work of, of gratitude, is realizing what we have uh, helps us to remind ourselves and helps us to, on that fulfillment curve, to know where do we put our stake down? Where do we stop? Okay? Uh, another one. If you woke up this morning relatively healthy, you're doing better than the million people in the world who will not make it through the week. And then finally, if you can read this message. You know, there's nearly a billion people who are illiterate who could not. So what keeps us from being more cognizant and more grateful and with, the, with all, this, all the many blessings we have in our life, even the simple ones? And he, he doesn't talk about this precisely, but I, I will share this uh, because we talked about it in our, um, in our gratitude session in the, when we looked at the Book of Joy. And it's the hedonic treadmill. Have anyone heard of that before? Also known as the hedonic um, uh, adaptation. It was a concept developed by Philip Brickman and Donald Campbell in the 19, early 70s. 
who basically point out that we as a species have a tendency to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite positive or negative events in our life. Has anyone heard that before? So we talked about resilience last night, and if you think about it, this idea of the hedonic adaptation uh, relates to that, because it, it, when we get something new, we get something exciting, we get something new, we achieve a goal, we get that promotion, we get that new car, we move to that house we've always valued. It doesn't take long, does it, before we kind of, the shine is no longer on, and now we've got perhaps our eyes on the next big thing. And we sort of lose that sense of fulfillment, that excitement, that enthusiasm, that joy, that happiness. It, it's, it dissipates. It doesn't last because we create a kind of a new baseline. Or actually return to the old baseline is what they would say. And that, but, but that's not all negative, right? There's a, there's a good side of that in that it helps us to be resilient. So they show studies where people have been hit with some, uh, maybe they've lost uh, an appendage in an accident. Over time, the hedonic uh, adaptation allows them to return to their original baseline of happiness, actually. We adapt. And I love this little back-to-the-cell-phone example. So here's how it might work with regard to something that we've all probably experienced. <laughs> Depending on how big of a techie nerd you are, uh, you know, I need a new phone. Mine is not good. This one is bad. You can substitute house, car, my wife. <laughs> husband, whatever. I'll never be happy until I get a new one. So you start to want it. You strive for something new, something better. I need that promotion. Uh, you know, in, in, in looking at people's money, relationship with money, um, if I just earned another 500 a week, if I just had another 1,000 a month, ah, I could finally be okay. I used to represent small business owners all the time. Always said that. Oh, if I could just pick up another three clients a month, I'd be fine, Chris. I'd be able to cover blah, blah, blah. There was always something that would get in the way and they would reach this point where uh, uh, they do, okay, so they actually achieve it, let's say, and there's this elation, oh my gosh, I have a shiny new phone, I've got that, that gizmo, I got the latest iPhone, I've gone from the four to the 10. Um, great, so exciting, and it's not long before, oh, this stupid phone, it's no good. All it does is cure cancer. You call that a feature? You know, and you're back on the treadmill, back, back looking for the next uh, thing. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so his, his point is uh, we need to be in the business all the time of cultivating a thankful heart. Because, you know, it's really easy to get back on that treadmill. Our baseline returns without us realizing it. Um, so what, what does he suggest? The first one is a number of practices, okay? So daily thanksgivings as a practice. Does anybody do that? A couple people? That was the first prayer that I've taught the girls back there um, every night before they go to bed. How do you explain prayer to a four-year-old? How do you explain God to a four-year-old, right? I figured, you know what, I'm not going to try. I'm just going to go with, what are you thankful for? And so they got into this practice of what are they thankful for, and they... It's my turn, it's my turn, they both want to do it. And it's beautiful things that come out of their mouth. You know, I remember Alina's first one, I think, was something, I'm thankful for hamburgers. You know, that's great, <laughs> start there. And now she's, now, though, after doing that every night or every, every three, four times a week, uh, now it's evolved to things like she's naming all of her friends at school, she's naming her teachers, um, the neighbors, 
And it's such a lovely thing for me to be able to tell the neighbor or tell the teacher at school or one of her friends, you know, you know, Alina names you in her prayers. She's thankful for you. And um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, gratitude journal. Anybody do that? Yeah? That, so at the end of this slideshow, I'll, I'll offer some ideas or, you know, ask you, what are your ideas? What did you learn from this series? I think this is going to be the one I'm going to try on. I've not... Oprah Winfrey keeps a gratitude journal. I think it's time that I did. <laughs> but basically, the idea is you just write down, you know, take five minutes a day, write down three or four things that you're thankful for for the night. Is that what you do, Chris? How long have you been doing it for? About four years, yeah. And uh, it just takes a few minutes. And, you know, you probably, you start going deeper as you do it. I noticed that with just the, the girls' Thanksgiving prayers. You start to go deeper. You start to no longer name the, the same things or the surface level things, and you start to go deeper with your Thanksgivings. And uh, there's some study that he mentions about if you were to do just five minutes a day over several months, it takes a few months to build that habit and to build the impact of it. Um, there's actually studies that show that the degree of, of fulfillment or happiness or satisfaction you would derive is equivalent to people who have doubled their income. <laughs> the difference is, uh, that, you know, thanks to the hedonic treadmill, we're gonna, we, we know that the people who double their income likely are going to find themselves back at their baseline eventually. Folks practicing gratitude um, do not. And, you know, and just, again, just think about the distinction, the difference of that. You know, how much work and effort we put into striving for these things or these relationships or whatever it happens to be and um, how much effort that is that may not be long-term uh, fulfilling, yet look how easy it is to just practice this attitude of gratitude. Start building that as a habit. Another one that he mentions and that I am a huge advocate of is to uh, thank others. Thank others. So he gave, gave an example of a fellow. He was a midlife attorney, you know, lost, you know, went through a divorce. His firm was failing. And he was really at his wit's end. He was at the end of his ropes. And his kids didn't want to talk to him anymore, blah, blah, blah. And so he says, you know what? I don't know what else to do. I'm going to start thanking people. And he starts writing a thank you note a day. And he did it for like a year. And, it, and he tracks, you know, in the book, just the, the impact it had. Now, that's very anecdotal. But uh, I can tell you as well, anecdotally, that when you thank others, when you, you're blessing them in a way. Especially when you can surprise them. <laughs> when you just hit them with a random act of gratitude. You know, we say random acts of kindness. Has anyone ever done that with somebody before? You say, hey, you know, Joe, I haven't mentioned this to you, but I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the work you put into X, Y, or Z. It really had an impact on me the other day, but I needed to hear it. Um, yeah, look, being able to bless people with a thanksgiving, where you share it with them, you tell them, rather, write in a note, put it in an email, tell them in person, whatever it happens to be. I think that probably, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen the research on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if that has the equivalent power of a gratitude journal in terms of just getting you into this attitude of being thankful. And you start making it a, an interesting habit, right? Every day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thankful for a couple things, and I'm going to find one person to thank. Make it an adventure. Wouldn't that be, isn't that beautiful? How easy could that be? 
Uh, he adds um, a way, another way, of course, of, of cultivating a thankful heart, and this is where we get into the chicken or the egg scenario, is serving others. You know, we serve others, we build our, we, we become more thankful, and when we are more thankful, we are more interested in helping others as well. And he makes the point that you want to do so when you help, try to see if you can serve from your own gifts, talents, skills, and passions. And as Christians, we're very familiar with that concept, uh, you know, the body of Christ metaphor that Paul gives us, um, right? We all have different gifts. We all have different spiritual gifts. Don't try to be something you're not. You know, don't be a round peg in a square hole. Know your gifts. Know what, what talents you have, what's, what passions you have, and see if you can find a place to put them into service. And you find yourself in this beautiful flow when you do that versus when you try to do something that you're just, you don't like. It's now an obligation. You're not happy doing it. You're doing it because you have to, because somebody wants you, you know. You know, there's times for that, obviously. But um, when we can find that, 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 that place where we can get into the flow, uh, Frederick Buechner, I always, I always go to him and his beautiful quote on this. He says, the kind of work that God usually calls you to is the kind of work that you need most to do and the world most needs to have done. Isn't that beautiful? The place God calls us is the intersection where your deep gladness and the world's deep needs meet. That is, um, that's where you will experience you know, the fruit of the Spirit. Last year we did that series on the fruit of the Spirit. You know, peace, happiness, joy. You're in the flow when you, when you can find that intersection. When you can be the body of Christ in the way that you're, you've been wired. You know, once, one of the beautiful theologies that's underlying that, of course, is that we are all gifted, right? We are all God's gift. Don't ever think otherwise. Then, just because the world doesn't think that the gift you have is a gift... Uh, you know, we, for example, we tend to be a culture that, that prizes extroverts. You know, we sometimes don't value introverts. Uh, you know, I'm just saying. But however, introverts have an incredible power, incredibly powerful gift, because they listen. <laughs> they reflect. You get a bunch of introverts in a room, they all start talking off the top of their head, and we all throw out ideas, and we over-talk each other. Uh, and that introvert is just listening to it all and processing and then suddenly speaks and finally when they do it's like wow where'd that come from we all should where was she all this whole this whole conversation with you we all have gifts and that includes by the way our woundedness he, he makes this point um Henri Nouwen wrote this famous book The Wounded Healer is anyone familiar with that a couple and it's really about this idea that we are most equipped to heal people through our own woundedness. How, how might that be true? Does that make sense to you? How might that be true? You're more likely to have compassion for somebody because they're going through something you've gone through. So, yeah, some, we might not even have eyes to see what the suffering that this person has gone through. But because you've been there... You know it, and you can walk us over to them and say, 
I heard about what happened. You know, praying for you. Uh, what's another way? Would, I, you know, I would say also, we'll talk about empathy in a minute, but it helps us know empathy. We can empathize with somebody who's been there before because you've been there before. And so you know how to minister the, to them in a way that no one else can. Is that true? So if you've gone through that operation before, if you've gone through a protracted divorce before, uh, if you've gone through um, a, a bankruptcy, you've lost your business, you've known what it's like to have to say goodbye to all your employees who you thought were like family, and you've recovered from that over time, you can minister to somebody who's going through that in a way that no one else can, right? That's an example of how you are all, we are all gifted through our woundedness. And uh, so it's not something, you know, be ashamed of, it's not something to hide. Uh, seek kinship and connection. So when we serve, we can build our attitude of gratitude. By the way, how does, how does serving help us be thankful? How is that true? Why is that true? Anybody have a guess? It makes, it makes you feel better when you're helping somebody. Yeah, yeah. And, and you connect with people, right? You see other people in a difficult straits, and it kind of breaks you out of that hedonic treadmill a little bit. Oh my gosh. What was I thinking? Oh my, I, I have it so well. Oh my. You know, it, you, 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 you build compassion, you build sympathy, and you build, maybe not empathy, but, it, but you at least build some connection with people. And this idea of kinship and connection is, is part of that. Because, you know, you can, you can press a button on Amazon.com today and have some things sent to somebody and help somebody and serve somebody in a way. You can have something sent to a needy person who needs food or needs clothing. And that's a lovely thing to do and it's an important thing to do and that person is going to be blessed by that. But imagine, you know, remember, we're Christians. We're in the business of reconciling. We're in the business of coming together. We're in the business of, of unity. Um, so, so to the extent that you can serve others in a way that connects you, that builds relationship, where you meet the person. Uh, we do that here when we used to have the, uh, the homeless folks uh, staying with us, right? They would stay here in our church. We would make dinner and eat stand, you know, next to them. We'd sit with them and have dinner. We would get to know them. We'd meet, who they, meet their families, get to know their kids, give them rides, all that kind of stuff. You build that kind of relationship and, uh, and I think it just deepens our gratitude when, um, when we take that further step. And that gets us to this idea of, uh, of sympathy and empathy. And so I'm gonna show this uh, little video because somebody says, says it much better than I, Brene Brown, you may have seen this, but I'm gonna start it, Andrew. In three, two, one. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth, staying out of judgment, 
not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space where someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling rarely if ever does an empathic response begin with at least I had a yeah and we do it all the time because you know what someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Any thoughts on, on this idea of empathy and how that can relate and build your, your habit of, of gratitude? You see how that works? Connecting, how connection, you know, it rehumanizes the other. They're, they're not just somebody to, um, to pity or to want to help. That makes them less the other. And now they start to become your neighbor. They start to become your, your kin, your kindred. We're in, yeah, we're inclusive. Yeah. And then the last one is uh, giving financially. Why would giving financially be so important to gratitude? Put your money where your mouth is? Yeah, society values money a lot. Yeah, it's, it's one of the great idols in our country, absolutely. So when you give that, you're giving something big. Yeah? How about any others? Yeah. Giving financially can be a good test of faith to see how God can manifest in others' lives, but even in your own. By letting go of something you think, well, if I'm letting go of it, I'm losing. But actually, I found that letting go of the money, I've actually won, uh, gained things instead of losing. Yeah, giving financially is a spiritual practice of letting go of the idols in our life, the big idols that our country, you know, in a, in a consumer society, right? It is the idol. It is the most countercultural thing you can do in, in America to give your money away. Because, you know, the rest of us are constantly about, you need this to be happy. And we're doing the opposite of that when we give. And it is a form of surrender. It's a form of putting your trust in God. It's a form of letting go of 
the cultural values and trying on the kingdom values. Yeah. Another one, yeah. You can be thankful for the fact that you have enough money to give. Yeah. You can be thankful that you're well positioned, that you can actually do that. Yeah, giving is a, is a response to th- gratitude, the thankfulness. Yeah, Manisha, Pastor. Boy, you're getting your work out there. I, I just Joe. raised my hand and make Joe run. <laughs> no, um, I, you know, I think, about, I think about the gratitude that comes from my giving, and it's like so directly linked to God. I, I need to show God how grateful I am. Um, and, and I, don't, I don't have great ways of doing that because God hasn't sent me a wish list. <laughs> God, God hasn't said, I need this. So, I, you know, my, my gratitude is, you know, shown through this expression of giving away something. And, and I've noticed that, that my gratitude goes up the more sacrificially I give. So when it, you know, when it's like, a small amount, it doesn't really, it doesn't really match it. But when it's when it's like a, a generous amount, a sacrificial amount, where like I feel it, like oh, okay, I guess I am not going to get you know that computer I want for Christmas because I'm going to instead give this away. Um, it's ironic, and I don't know how this works, but I feel utterly more grateful for God. Yeah, that's well, real, well said. That's a really great point about um, it matters. Not all giving is necessarily created equal, <laughs> right? Uh, g- giving in a way that you really don't miss, that really doesn't make any difference to you. Is that truly a gift? Is that really a gift? You know, it's worth asking the question uh, uh, versus a gift that you have to budget around. I remember when I first started giving, when I first started attending church, you know, that, that little plate would go around, and I would look inside that as it goes by, and I was just checking this out, you know. I'm not, I was like, something in, said to me, you know, Chris, if you put money in that plate, you're saying yes to something. You're saying yes to God in some way, and I was still sort of just exploring. I didn't want to commit, and so I just let that plate go by and um, suffered the, you know, the, the embarrassment and the guilt of everybody looking at me. But then over time, I started to say, you know what, I'm getting something out of this. And so I, used to, so I would start to give a little bit by, I just kind of look what's in there and I see a $20 bill or I see a $10 bill. And so I'd say, okay, I guess I'll give that. I have to start somewhere. Yeah, I'm here for an hour and a half on a Sunday. That's like a Sunday matinee, right? 10 bucks, you know? Again, I, starting somewhere, right? I was going from zero to something, so I'm gonna pay my way. You know, and then over time, I started to get, you know, to get it more involved. I started to know people. I started to realize, you know what? They're open 24 hours a day around here. They're open all, you know, you can call a priest and they will come to your house, to your hospital. Uh, that, you know, they've got programs going during the week. This is a full-time operation. What does it cost to run this place? You know? And then I started to think about my giving in terms of that. Um, what's the average around here? What does it really cost? You know, those kinds of questions. All right, so that was, that's movement, right? I'm, I'm evolving, I'm growing. Um, you know, so long as it wasn't something that was uncomfortable, I could handle it, right? Uh, it was the point, though, at some point, I kind of crossed over and realized, you know what, this giving is really not about the church's need to receive. It's really about my need to give. It's about my relationship with God. It's a conversation with God. It's a prayerful response 
to the blessings that I have, and it's um, something that I need to make a commitment to because I'm trying to make God part of my life. And I knew that if I didn't give to God in a sacrificial way, I would always have God in kind of a comfortable corner pocket somewhere, you know? So I started to, 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 to give out of what they call first fruits, where you give a percentage of your income, you know? My income as a, at the time, whatever it was, I would give, I think, 3 4%, and I kind of worked my way up to 10%, which I was told was the tithe, da, da, da. But I did find what was cool about that was I had to budget around that. So I you know, started budgeting and I would have to give right off the top, okay, that's gonna be my, my tithe, boom. I'm gonna to have to learn how to live off the rest. And it was hard at first and I, it was a journey to get there. Um, but to, to Pastor Manisha's point, um, it was like, it, was, it became a spiritual practice like prayer, like coming to church once a week by praying every day, whatever. Uh, and it started to become a way of honoring God. Before I do anything, God gets first. Then I can take a look at the next big screen TV. <laughs> but if I, if I don't give God 10%, if I'm going to start with that, I got to start there. You know, that was kind of how I got to it eventually. But yeah, uh, so giving, I would say another, another way of thinking about giving as related to our gratitude is, um, is from that, that great parable, or the, not parable, it's really a story about the, the rich young man or the rich young ruler shows up in all of the synoptic gospels. And you're probably all familiar with that one. That's the one where the fellow comes to Jesus and he says, you know, Jesus, I've kept all the commandments since I was a boy. <laughs> I've kept all the rules. Uh, but I like, I like what you're doing. I like what you're talking about. Let me just turn that down a little bit. Um, how, do I, how do I get, how do I have what you have? How do I find eternal life? How do I get that? I hear what you're preaching about, and it's speaking to me. It's moving me in my heart in some way. How, what, do I, what else do I need to do? And Jesus looks at him and loves him, and he says, you need to sell all that stuff you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Follow me. And he famously, what, what, turns around and walks away, right? And I think that is an invitation that um, is ever before us as, as Christians. Um, at what point uh, are we going to put down one of the, great, the greatest idol, perhaps, one of the great idols of our life? and follow Jesus, make that the priority in our life. And giving is uh, certainly on um, the front lines of that. And it's probably the hardest thing to do. And I think that's why you know, that parable shows up in every one of the three gospels, the, the synoptics. And um, it's an invitation for us to constantly, you know, we don't get it right. You know, it's not, not literally sell all your stuff. It's, it's constantly be meditating on this idea of how can I follow Jesus more by letting go of the stuff that holds me back more? How do I find my space on that, on that um, fulfillment curve? You know, that, that's what's be happening here. Jesus is inviting him to get off that fulfillment curve and start finding more joy and happiness, not through that stuff you're dragging around, but through following me by loving and serving the world. And let's see what happens when you do that, you know? That's the invitation, and it's the, it's the hardest one to say yes to. And if you look statistically, by the way, Christians really, we, uh, we, uh, 
we're not necessarily much better than, than, than regular secular Americans on giving. We, give, we all give about the same amount. On average, 2.5%. 2.5%. Agnostics, atheists, and Christians give statistically 2.5% of their income. You, know, you, you think we would be like leading the world in giving. Wow, look at those guys. You know? uh, so we all have this work to do. We all have this work to do. Any other, any other ways that you cultivate a thankful, gracious heart, an attitude of gratitude? Any practices that you guys have that you'd share? Yeah, Joe. And I'm sorry, you might have mentioned this because I came in late, but um, I, pra I, I practice in a very limited way the Ignatian practice of the daily examen which has you every day ask, looking back at the day, what were you most thankful for today? And I, you know, I keep a journal of that. I, I write it down every day. Yeah, those were the, those, well done. Those were the first two suggestions. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. They bear repeating. They bear repeating. You know, until we're all doing it, they probably bear repeating. Any others? Those are pretty good. You know, start there. We don't need a long list of 50 things. <laughs> Let's just start with those two. <clears throat> so let's too quickly just hit on and we'll bring it to a close some of the obstacles to gratitude uh, he th this came out of the session we did on the book of joy uh, and then I'll mention the one that he mentions but first um, the Dalai Lama mentions that envy right is one of the great obstacles to gratitude over looking over our shoulder keeping up with the Joneses Okay, it turns our focus away from what we have and directs us to what we don't. It keeps us uh, from seeing our blessings. Entitlement is another one. Anybody know anybody who has a sense of entitlement? Anybody have any kids? <laughs> anybody have any parents? <laughs> but entitlement, you know, to the extent we have a sense of entitlement makes it difficult to appreciate what we have when we think that we're only getting our due. We miss out on the joy of of life when, we, when we're just always going around with a sense of entitlement. And then the one that Bell mentions is, uh, and, and Pastor Manisha mentioned this uh, in her sermon, essentially, without using the term, I don't think, but you certainly described it, compassion fatigue. Has anyone heard that one? Uh, so what is compassion fatigue? A condition where we have been exposed to too much of other people's trauma and pain so we start to become exhausted and burned out and numb to it all. Does anybody experience that? <laughs> uh, there are literally, you know, that is one of the big topics of conversation right now, is just the amount of trauma and disasters and tragedies uh, that, are, that are in the news constantly, right? And it is, of course, an industry uh, that we are being susceptible to and... Uh, we're being drawn into it all the time, and it can be overwhelming after a while. Especially too right now with the climate change tendencies that's going on, and all we're being told about not the world coming to an end, but how we need to make our change. Oh yeah, we can. You could make a list of a million things. Climate change is always kind of smoldering in the background, but you know, there's uh, refugees. Haiti, Pastor Manisha mentioned several in her sermon. It just begins to be a lot, right? And you can get overwhelmed by it. So what are some of the ways of 
avoiding compassion fatigue or how, you, how do you handle that? He suggests a few, and um, I'll be interested in hearing some of yours. Uh, the first is to notice that it's happening. Beware of yourself. Are you feeling this? Are you starting to get tired of hearing it? Are you starting to become numb to the world's suffering? Uh, another one is don't doom scroll. What is doom scrolling? <laughs> Anybody know that? <laughs> getting on social media, getting on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where were the cat videos that social media was supposed to be all about? I could use one of those about now, right? Uh, but yeah, social media, the internet, it is wired. Okay, remember, friends, it's a billion, billion, billions, and billions of dollars of industry behind it with research, and they know about about the endorphins that your brain releases. They know about these things, and they have algorithms and they track you, and they know what sites, what causes are interesting to you. They know what your hot buttons are. Oh, they know. And so they will feed you and serve you story after another, after another, after another to keep you clicking, to keep you reading. And as soon as that story, before that story's even ended, you notice that? You're reading the story in the, in the middle of the paragraph. And if you want to hear more about this, you know, or some other re related tragedy, click here. It's constantly feeding you that, and you can get sucked into it. And there's research about why we get sucked into it. Yeah. Politics in our country on the news constantly, back and forth, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Politics. Um, I know somebody who is wrapped up in every conspiracy theory he finds on the Internet and sucked into it to the point that that's all he can talk about when you see him, you know. Uh, whenever you talk to somebody, you know they're a doom scroller when all they talk about is the thing they're constantly doom scrolling. And they think that that's the topic of conversation they want to have with you. Like, I'm interested in that. What about what's going on with your life? You know, what's going on with you? You want to ask me about me? Why are you always trying to convince me of the trauma, of the drama, of the thing that you're doom scrolling all the time? You know, it's not that interesting, trust me. And they're not happy, you know, as a result of it. It causes you to get more stressed out, more anxious. Uh, so, so one of the, one of, the of course, self-care. We talked about that last week with resilience. Self-care is huge. Notice when you're, when you're getting compassion fatigue and take care of yourself. Take action. Maybe you want to actually become part of the solution. You know? This person I'm thinking of, I'm like, <laughs> why don't you get involved? <laughs> this so, if this is so passionate, you spend so many hours t t reading about it and so, much, so many hours trying to convince everybody that it's so important, why don't you lift up your finger and actually go get volunteer and get involved? You know? Uh, that might break you out of it a bit. Uh, take time off, recreate. We talked about that last week with resilience, you know? And then I'll just kind of close on, on this, uh, this idea of moving beyond thank you. Um, he makes this point, and just, it's just a sort of a little sentence he throws in. It doesn't get its own headline. It doesn't get, you know, bold, anything. Uh, he doesn't really go on much about it, but I think it is really powerful. And it is this idea that gratitude puts us in the moment. It reframes whatever is past and future. Whatever past and future we do think about, Gratitude is present. It reframes the past and the future. Gratitude is present. So the idea is that when we are gracious, when we are thankful, 
it's really kind of a stance in life. It's not writing out thank you notes, necessarily. That's a good practice to get you going. It's not making sure you keep your journal, your gratitude journal every night. Oh my God, I missed a night. It's, it's cultivating a, a posture, a way of being in the world where you can be present to what's happening and to the gift in front of you, the gift of life, the gift of creation, the gift that God has put in front of you that day, whoever that is, whether it's my girls playing on their games or you guys here today, it allows you to be present because you have this kind of posture of, of everything is a blessing, everything is a gift from God. If I just have the presence of mind to see it, to pay attention to it. You start building this capacity to, be, to pay attention to the gifts and the blessings that are right in front of you, the person that's right in front of you, right? The fellow bearer of the image of God that's right in front of you this day, giving them their, your full attention. That is really, that's, that's being, that's an attitude of gratitude. Does that make sense? It starts to get a little mystical and ethereal when you talk this way. But all of our attention to the past, our worries about what we've done wrong, and all of our anxiety about the future, what we should do and what we're not doing, suddenly that all just sort of fades into the background when we can be present and thankful for the, the now, what's happening right in front of us in this moment. And it's a way of connecting with God when we do that. Does that, you know, that, that, that's, that's kind of moving beyond, you know, that's this idea of just, you know, thankful as a, being thankful as a practice to being thankful as a posture in life, as a way of being. It, it relates to this concept of mindfulness that we've been alluding to in this series, yeah. Could you think of it as being like a child, all in the womb, and you're birthed, and you grow a little bit, and you grow as an adult, but you're still in that present, that presence. And as you grow, your posture is reaching in the direction that you want us all to go in. Yeah. Yes, that's beautifully, beautifully put. I can think of an example when my, uh, I, I mentioned this in the sermon once, I remember, you know, little, little kids are, are wonderful at showing, teaching us how to be grateful to the present moment. I was like in a rush trying to get somewhere, I'm blowing the car and I'm getting their backpacks going and I'm trying to get the car seats all hooked up and I'm, we're running late, I'm, come on girls, come on, you know, and I look behind and what are they doing? They found this beautiful pile of leaves and they're just throwing them up in the air and they're dancing, you know, and they're drifting down and they're falling in their hair and they're thinking that's funny and they're laughing. And I'm sitting there looking at myself going, God, Chris, what happened to you? What happened to the joy of your life? And, you know, so it was such a reminder to me that that's the place we want to be, you know? It doesn't mean be frivolous about life or not plan or whatever, but don't, don't get so wrapped up in all that. Uh, and then I remember my grandmother on the other side of the life spectrum, which tells you something, right? At the beginning, at the end, we come back to the same essential attitude. I remember my grandmother, I was visiting her in hospice. And I said, Grandma, you know, somebody bring in you your five o'clock cocktail, because she always had a five o'clock cocktail. She said, you know, Christopher, I'm just not that interested in drinking anymore. And I was a kid, you know, and I was nervous what to say, and I noticed she had a TV in the room. So I'm like, well, Grandma, is there any good TV shows on? What shows have you been watching? It's like, you know, I'm just not that interested in watching TV anymore. I'm just interested in visiting with you 
right now. And, and the family that were coming in to visit her each day and as we ministered to her in those final moments, she was fully present to us. And I'll never forget that because we're all gonna be there again. And I think one of the messages that Jesus is trying to tell, tell us is salvation is not waiting till we, till we die to figure that out. And this attitude of, pos this posture of thankfulness helps us to get there. Uh, anyway, that's, that's kind of all I'll, I'll offer, I think. And the discussion questions for your further reflection, maybe at home, is to ask yourself, you know, what did you hear in this series that left an impression on you? What did you hear? What did you pick up? What was that one idea, that one nugget that, that really resonated? And then what are you going to do about it? What do you feel called to try on? You know, part of this, uh, this thriving is to experiment. What do you need to, pra to practice? Bell's, you know, his, his sort of big comment is that if you, want, if you want something you've never had, you need to do something you have never done before. He thinks that's super profound. I don't know, maybe it is. <laughs> but it's an interesting idea, right? Don't just talk about it. Don't just learn about it. Don't just read about it. You know, we're constantly on the, on the journey of life, constantly trying it on, constantly exercising new muscles. Experiment with life and try something. And so that's my invitation to you as we close this series. Amen. <laughs> Wednesday's uh, sessions, and I must tell you, it's wonderful. Really, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So you've been practicing some of these in those sessions, right? And one of them being connection. Yeah. I was just uh, impressed here by the difference from sympathy, which might be, you know, how you feel about somebody's problems, maybe, and empathy, and how that's a little deeper, and maybe putting yourself into their shoes and trying to figure out, you know, how I might help them more and then how that eventually leads to compassion or a willingness to do something. And I, I like this thing at the end here that it's, it's great to have sympathy and empathy, but it's really the willingness to do and the compassion that, that comes out of that. And the willingness to be, but yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, because remember, you know, we're really, we're called to love God and to love each other and love, the, love our neighbor, love ourselves, and that's the, that's the work in front of us. And feeling for somebody, feeling sorry for somebody, good place to start, good place to start, but we don't want to end there. You know, we want to be moved to action, moved to, to love and, and serve them and to be with them. You know? Did you want to Any other comments? Um, the one thing you said about your grandmother in hospice, my aunt was like that also at the end of her life. And 
there was several relatives together, and what she said, you know, they're all little nuggets that they give us. She said, we're all happy, we'll leave it at that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Any others? I got out of the habit of writing in my gratitude journal instead of I would just sit in bed, like five things, and just say it to myself. I found it's actually better to write them down. There seems to be a little bit more power in it when you actually write them down in a journal. Yeah, thank you. I just want to, as a brand new person here, um, this is the Thrive program is what kind of brought me in the door. Um, I'm in a season of loss, so much loss in my life and emptiness. And um, this is just such a great program for me to realize, I don't remember who somebody said it, um, just your seeking to understand and thrive is the definition of thriving. So that's so helpful for me, like just the will is there and so um, it's the first step. So anyway, I'm so grateful for all of you that put so much time into this program. It, it really meaningful to me. I learned a lot, and I'll use it in some other programs that I go to, so thank you. Thank you, that's really great to hear. Yeah, and, and Pastor Venetia kind of uh, echoed that in her sermon about you know the beginning of wisdom is knowing what we don't know. And so knowing that we're on this journey and we need to do this journey together and learn from each other uh, and is, is huge. Yeah, I'd like to thank you for this because offering this, it helped me step outside of the box to do a, a book study, to go into a group setting, um, outside of my regular group settings. But it also changed the narrative in my thoughts and it was executed throughout all the people I interact with each week. And I was aware of what my mind was full of and I was able to change course when uncomfortable discussions came up and I started applying some of the principles and the tools that were given in, in the series that I otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, and it kept, it kept me aware of where my thoughts were and how I was engaging with others and staying more positive and productive and maybe re-steering where the conversation was going. Because I get people behind my chair, they're complaining, la 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 la, and then I offer, I was like, well, I could go with it or I could let this move through and share that. And it really made a significant difference. And I, I wanna thank you for that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that reminds me of the, the session we did on connection, uh, where it was very much about, you know, be aware of the vibration of the attitude of the energy of the people you're around. Are they constantly complaining and grievances? Are they constantly posting things on Facebook about, you know, are, are you hanging out with them too much? Because they do rub off on you. And so you need to think about moving into relationships and connections with folks who are doing the work and on the same journey as you. Yeah. If I could just, one thing that really struck me today was that hedon cycle or hedonic cycle. Hedonic treadmill. Treadmill, yeah. that's even better. Yes, hedonism. Uh, so that reminds me of Rene Girard and mimetic desire. So it's this philosophy that came out in the 20th century that all of our desires are socialized. So we don't actually desire something. Mm. We desire something because somebody else, we perceive them as happy with what they have. And all of our desires are socialized that way. Mm. So mm -hmm. in, in seeking our connections, it's like, you know, do we desire someone who's authentically happy? Do we, are we desiring that? It's, 
there's a lot to chew on. And I think all the different aspects that were covered in this give us a lot of different ways to really look inward and ask God to kind of enlighten us and show us what's actually going on in our world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's very much about comparison. We're always in a relative position to everybody else. Uh, and we can, we can base our happiness on that inadvertently if we're not careful. Mindful. In a sense, I think the sequel to this class needs to be one on mindfulness. Because we keep mentioning it here and there as we went, and I think that would be a perfect sort of follow-up, is to dig into this idea of mindfulness. Because at the end of the day, that's, I think, what's operating behind the scenes. All these ideas, I think, lead to that essential place. That's my theory. <laughs> Anything else feel good of the order? I just don't want to <laughs> you don't, well, okay, so if you don't, uh, if you want to continue the conversation, come Wednesday night to the Walgast house if you haven't done that yet. Uh, I know several of you have not. Uh, we do, we, we do a, a shorter summary of this presentation by a psychologist and then we break into small groups. And we have some really good discussion questions where you guys can really chew on this stuff. That's the focus on Wednesday nights, is where we can meet in small groups and talk about these matters. Yeah? We do have good news that next week, same time, same place, we have the gift of hearing Joe Balistrieri. And he's going to be talking to us about the gift of Gregorian chanting. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's, it's good, good kind of disconnected, but it is very connected when it comes to mindfulness. Yeah. Because there's been studies that show that that music helps you enter into a deep meditative state. Um, it's not going to be so much about music. It's going to be more about the philosophy and sort of the worldview and what we can learn from it and how we have learned as a culture from it for centuries. Next Sunday during the, uh, we'll call it the Thrive Time. Fantastic. All right, Greg, yeah. When I think about mindfulness, I, I think about being in the present moment in that. And I think that's such a challenge, especially for me in that, because our minds are always creating thoughts and thinking what we have to do in that. And the whole idea of the challenge of staying mindful and staying in the present moment would be very helpful to all of us. I, amen. I think I, I'm really feeling that that is... Uh, because, you know, that's the thing we keep coming back to. Last, night at the, at, last week at the Wagas House when we were talking about resilience... We spent the whole time in our small group talking about how we are not our thoughts. Don't confuse who God made you to be with all those terrible little ruminations constantly going through your head. You are not your thoughts. And as soon as you can make that connection, as soon as you can make, realize that, even if you don't believe it yet, you now put some distance between who you are and those thoughts. You're now asking the question, to your point. It, it, you, you're starting the, the, the journey, and I think that would be a great place to continue this, the conversation. Yeah. All right. Shall we close out with prayer? The Lord be with you. Gracious and loving God, we give thanks for you. We give thanks for creation. We give thanks for all the ways that you love us, you made us, you knew our face before we were born. You knew our name before we were ever stitched together in our mother's womb. And you love us. Help us 
to be thankful for that. Help us to turn that thankfulness outward so that we might love who you love. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations at Christchurch Cranbrook. To learn more about our mission, worship services, and learning opportunities, please visit us at ChristchurchCranbrook.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Christchurch Cranbrook. We look forward to you joining us again, and may God bless you now and always.